Hello friends and welcome to The Artist Appeals in this episode of season six of The Artist Appeals. We talk with the inventor, the owner of dun 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 dun, Crazy Aaron's Thinking Putty. I don't know if you have any of this stuff, but I love it. It puts a whole new spin on Silly Putty. It's amazing they've got scented varieties they've got glitter varieties they've got color changing varieties they've got glow-in-the-dark varieties it's so much fun it's not just for kids and you're gonna learn in this episode how he invented it and that it wasn't for kids when he invented it. in fact not a spoiler or anything spoiler alert um he didn't invent it for kids in the beginning. So in this episode, I'm really happy to share with you an interview with Aaron Muderick. Hey, Aaron, how are you doing? Hi, how are you, Aaron? <laughs> Good. Aaron and Aaron today. That's Love right. It. We're with Aaron. Aaron, where are you? I am uh, just outside of Philadelphia in Norristown, Pennsylvania at Crazy Aaron headquarters. Fantastic. You're not far from me then. No, where are you located? Uh, Pennsylvania as well, over towards the Harrisburg region. Oh, there you go. No, we're yeah. pretty close. We're neighbors. Yeah. Yes, we are. So I'm going to start this episode with our six rapid fire questions. You ready? Okay. I'm All ready. Right. Number one, what is your number one top selling piece of art, product, style, or theme? Obviously, you have products. So what's your number one? Our liquid glass putty is probably our number one seller over all these years. The one that's so clear that when you open it, it appears invisible. Really? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I think people like things that are invisible. <laughs> How many years has it been your top number one? Uh, it's probably coming up 10 years. Yeah, that's crazy. That's really neat that something can have that longevity. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Number two. What is the one thing you love to create or do? Like, what is your top thing as an entrepreneur that you love to do? Well, I like making the impossible possible. I like, you know, pushing the limits. And I like when all of our vendors come in here with all kinds of magical ingredients or uh, other special effects. And they say, well, yeah, but that will never work for this application. It could never work for children's toys or that's, we can't do that for putty. And, and then we figure out how to do it. And then we do. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. Number three, what is the one thing you hate to create or do the most as an entrepreneur? That I hate to create? Yeah. Like what's your day-to-day? -day? I mean, paperwork. Paperwork is not <laughs> why I got into this business, right? Yeah. So if it's, um, there is a lot of paperwork because toys are a heavily regulated industry. Um, yeah. And all of that paperwork, although maybe I'm pretty good at moving it along, is not my favorite thing. Oh, I want to hear about the paperwork for the toy industry, because that's something I discovered with iNet Connect Crafts was there's all these regulations and, you know, and you're like, oh, <laughs> I want to hear yeah. a little bit about that. I want to hear your stories. All right. Number five. Nope. Number four. We're on number four. Okay. What is the funniest or weirdest experience you've had as an entrepreneur and doing this? The weirdest, well, there's been a lot of really strange moments in 25 years, but one that occurs to me is when we got a return from a hospital gift shop, you know, yeah. and they, they just decided they didn't want to carry the product anymore and they sent it all back and we opened the box and it was not filled with putty. It was filled with bags of human blood. 
gross. <laughs> and, um, you know, then that created an entire brouhaha because we couldn't return it either because we weren't <laughs> authorized shippers of um, hazardous waste or medical waste. What did you do with it? I, I don't think the statute of limitations has expired yet, so I'm going to plead the fifth and we'll move on. Oh, that's fantastic. That is so bizarre. You must have been horrified. I was horrified. Yes. Number five, what is the one most important piece of information, business advice you'd give yourself if you were just starting out again today? What's like the one thing you'd tell your new inventor self of when did oh, you start I, this? I, uh, I started in 1998. I Hi. left my job full time uh, to do it full time in 2002. So 24 um, years? 24 years coming up on next year will be 25. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you. I mean, it's almost, it's a career at this point, right? So <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I think that I would have told myself to, to find knowledgeable advisors mm -hmm. um, and have them be part of my business process to not be afraid of bringing those individuals in. And also given that I was in a fairly niche business making putty to just realize that business is business and mm -hmm. even people who maybe are in very different kinds of businesses have a lot of good advice to offer mm. so seek counseling mentors even if they're not in putty that's right that's <laughs> right because i felt very alone for a long time um yeah. but was able through advisors to realize this isn't the first time anyone's gone through a lot of these challenges very cool. Mm -hmm. Number six, last rapid fire question. Why do you think that there are inventors, artists, entrepreneurs that, you know, have the ability to charge a lot of money right out of the gate? And yet there's a lot of artists that really struggle. Like what advice would you give to struggling artists and struggling inventors um, about that type of thing? Sure. I guess there's two bits of advice. One is you need to be yourself, right? You, you can only be great at you and you can't, you can grow, you can develop, but you will still be you. And it is a bit of a lottery of whether the world is interested in what you have to offer. Um, that's just sort of the odds of it. The other side of it is uh, even if you, if the world maybe isn't entirely thrilled uh, with good business practices, they can come to love you, right? Mm. They, you know, so, you know, people might not be ready for what you have to offer or mm -hmm. the fashion of today doesn't necessarily match what you are doing, but through persistence and a good business practices allow you to stay in business. That's persistence. Um, you can find your moment. You can find Fantastic. your moment. Fantastic. Yeah, totally. Totally. Hey there, welcome. I want to just quickly tell you about our new ebook download plus three free bonuses. I've taken all of the amazing interviews from the first two seasons of The Artist Appeals and compiled them into a cool book. It shares all the tips, the tricks, the best, the funniest stories from our guests from the first two seasons. So if you don't want to listen to hours and hours of podcasts, you can get them now as part of the ebook. You can download it plus three free bonuses of extra content at theartistappeals.com. So check it out. Go get your copy of The Artist Appeals at theartistappeals.com. Thanks for listening. All right. So we always use the acronym appeals to organize all this information that I'm gleaning from everybody, which is amazing stuff. So we got art. What do you make? 
well, let's start with we know you make putty, but how in the world did you decide to make putty of all things? Well, I was a software engineer. I was distracted. I had a lot of downtime. I had lots of toys at my desk and the putty was the thing I kept going back to and playing with. And then I saw that my coworkers were stealing pieces of my putty and they were playing with it. And I thought to myself, well, this makes them happy. And this is a business, a business opportunity. And, you know, I started selling it from under my, making it and selling it from under my desk at work. Um, <laughs> But then I was quickly driven to how can I make it sort of match what's in my mind's eye? How mm. can it look like and feel the way I want it to? Because it doesn't currently, right? There was nobody in the world that sort of, you know, pressed my buttons the way I wanted. And um, mm. that was the art of it, which was a combination of science and technology and creativity to imagine the thing and then figure out how to make it become real. Yeah. Now, did you have any background in chemistry? Like, did you actually invent the formula yourself or did you find help? Like, how did you make putty? Well, I won't I, ask I you did, for the formula, but <laughs> I didn't, I did not have a background in chemistry. So I was, I spent a lot of time teaching myself the necessary basics to even begin to focus on the area that I wanted to focus on. Um, right. And I didn't invent um, putty, bouncing putty was invented in the 1940s and Silly Putty was a very successful brand. But as I said, it was it was sort of stuck in the 1962. And, and that weird I, flesh tone. I thought it could be a lot more. And <laughs> um, so to do that, I needed to learn why it way, why it had been made the way it was uh -huh. and why it wasn't the way it wasn't. And then what the laws of physics might allow. Huh. So what was your very first putty? What color or scent or, I mean, you've got colors and scents and glitter and everything now. Well, my first putty was basically a clone of um, that original Silly Putty. Uh, part of my process is to do a set, what I call a sanity check, right? Mm -hmm. Can this be done? Well, sure, I can go to the store and I can buy it. So I know someone can do it. It's, it's possible to do. And right. so first step is to level up there, right? And when you're in art school, first you, you know, you do your standard still lives and you draw portraits and then you might um, try to replicate the styles of famous artists. You're, you're sort of building up your baseline of skills yeah. um, so that then you have the ability to go in your special direction. Yeah. It's all about iteration, isn't it? It absolutely is. And Even that's as, where my yeah. software background came in really handy because software is very iterative. You write the code, you run the code, you find the problem, you change the code, you do it again and again and again and again. And again and again and again, right? Um, <laughs> right. And I think art is very similar, right? You, you might even half finish a drawing and then start something new. Um, get a sculpture, build it up, tear it back down, try all over again. Um, yeah. There's a lot of other processes in life though that are not that way. And a lot of people are trained not to be that way. It's, you know, a lot of training just to be in meetings all day talking about it rather than just doing it. Or right. a lot of, um, you know, very, doing things that take a really long time to even see whether they will work. And so you put so much planning in to make sure they're a success and it's kind of sucks all the creativity out of the room. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, I don't think we as artists actually think about the fact that art really is like art styles are either a adaptation or, you know, progression of a previous art style or they're an outright rejection where you do like the opposite, you know, I've been mm -hmm. thinking a lot about that lately um, with impressionism, like how it rejected the previous style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really cool. 
from an entrepreneurial point, an inventor point, and an art point, there's that same idea of it's a process of development. So cool. I think that um, there's this idea of this, you know, sort of lone inventor who just pulls this magic idea out of his head and it changes the world. But right. everything, you know, I think Newton said, you know, everything I've done has been built on the shoulders of giants, right? Like he took it, he, he took it one next step. That synthesis that he was able to accomplish was tremendous, right? right? And he was applauded for it. And, and, you know, we're still using his name, you know, four or 500 years later. Yeah. But the reality is it didn't come out of nothing. And, and similarly, if an artist somehow was able to, you know, be raised on another planet and just magically become an artist and deliver that artwork to planet Earth, it wouldn't make any sense to anyone because it's yeah. completely out of context. You're so right. So right. Very cool. So how do you keep yourself motivated and creating new amazing putties and ideas for putty on the regular? Because, I mean... It seems almost like it's so niche that it would be like, oh, I made putty. <laughs> the amount of putties you have now is ridiculous. How do you keep coming up with these new ideas? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I've thought about this a lot because it's important to the success of our business that we have lots of new ideas. So I've got, I've got three strategies. Okay. Um, two for me personally and one sort of more organizationally. Oh, um, I love it. Right. The, the first the first is a realization that that I personally come up with the best ideas when either I have very little to do. That is, my schedule is very open and I have time to dibble dabble around and look at things I wouldn't normally and go to the art museum and just wander purposely, purposelessly. Right. Mm. Um, or I am at one hundred and twenty percent grinding stressed out of my mind and there's a little piece of my brain that is looking for that childish kind of way out that distraction ah. and, and that's where an idea so that where you are most of the time your engine is kind of revving highway speed you're not going to come up with any ideas it's only sort of at the stoplight and in the race um, where the great ideas come Okay. learning how to kind of manipulate your mind everyone's mind is different to find where those ideas are coming from um i'm a big david lynch fan and i i believe that they are in there and really it's just creating that window for them to bubble up into consciousness to uh for your mind to have that aha that that you're aware of and can write down and mm -hmm. actually follow up on mm -hmm. um so how do you do that everybody's different and then yeah. organizationally it's building an organization that is creative and open for other people to bring in ideas because one brain only has so many ideas and many brains with the right kind of creatively positive structure can really create things that are way beyond what any one person would make. So you had mentioned three things. How do you um, create that open environment? Well, I, one is to, to uh, be, be open to failure in an organization. Right. I have a poster on the wall in our main conference room. It's a quote from Enrico Fermi. And he says, if you do, if you create a hypothesis and you do an experiment and it confirms your expectations, you have a result. And if you do an ex have a hypothesis and it, uh, you do an experiment and it, it denies your expectations, you also have a result. Either way, you have a result. And a failure isn't a failure. It's a kind of the universe pointing you in a slightly different direction. And so you should be willing to do design experiments that you can afford to fail at and then mm. do that a lot. And um, that's how you'll steer in the right direction. And also, I think creating a culture where you encourage people 
to communicate their failures. You know, so much of our entire culture outside of me and art and is about publishing positive results. Mm-hmm. And I think that we would really benefit as a society if people were like, hey, we tried this thing and it totally didn't work. And wouldn't that be really helpful to anybody else who has that idea to not waste their time? I love it. Yeah. I see that on the internet all the time. People like, show us the results, show us the money. How did you, you know, it's all wins, wins, wins. And it's like, well, what about all those failures that it took to get to that win that you're now talking about? That's right. And I think there's a, there's a bias, a cultural bias to not talking about it, to making it maybe ego, ego wins. And just sort of, if you can hide your failures and only tout your successes, everyone thinks how wonderful you are, but it's just not reality. It's It's just not. not It's not. So the three things, let me see if I reiterate, if I can get them right. So one, you create best when either you have like a really open schedule or when you're totally 120% flat out. And then that was two. And then Mm -hmm. three is you encourage failure with a big poster that says, share your failures, share your wins or whatever. That's right. And that's how you create a, an environment open to creativity, to people raising their hand, to people feeling like, Hey, I, I might be able to get outside my lane here and I'm not going to get my head cut off for it. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. So products you make putty. Um, who's your target market? Um, you know, we, we know you make putty, but I want to talk a little bit about that invention of that product mm-hmm. of the putty. Do you know what I mean? So you're an entrepreneur. You came up with this idea. Let's talk about the technical aspects of, how do you, how did you um, decide I'm going to make putty? You said it was because you're a software engineer and you love to play with it. Mm-hmm. So maybe your target market is kids, but do you have a large target market of adults as well? And how did you discover your target market and mm-hmm. produce these well, products? For the, the original market was not children. The original market was people working at desks all day, engineers, you know, project managers, people in sort of thought process work. That's why it's called thinking putty because we used it to help our thinking. We realized, I realized our office culture came to realize that if you have this stuff in your hands and you're squeezing and stretching it all day, it takes care of your anxiety, your fidgeting, and it frees up space in your brain to have those ideas that your employer's kind of paying you to have. Um, We used to use it Uh, When we would have client meetings, we would give it to clients. When we had brainstorming sessions, um, in advertising meetings, all kinds of things. And so then when I finally left my job, uh, I still was not selling to children. I had a website, we had our tins, but it was really marketed towards as a grown-up desk toy. You know, that was my Google AdWords campaign. Yeah, like the stress balls. Right, bored at work, so much better than a stress ball, right? You squeeze a stress ball four times and you've, you've pretty much done it right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but with putty, there's a lot more. And um, we actually, for probably nine years, were primarily a promotional products company selling products to, um, you know, promotional uh, corporations. Okay. So we were talking about target markets mm-hmm. and we were talking about how your putty for about nine years was actually focused on office and adults. So mm-hmm. How did you make that transition? When did you pivot? What was the catalyst that made you realize Mm -hmm. that you needed to pivot or wanted to pivot? 
like like all large changes in one's life, you know, um, there's a sort of a moment where the change actually happens, but then there's the things that happened before that's primed the pump that set yeah. you up onto that path. So I'm gonna ignore that beeping outside. So like a lot of things, you have a moment of change and then you have really the important moments that set you up for that pivot or change that happened just before it. So sort of telling the story backwards, I had a phone call from a random guy at my perspective at the time um, who had an at AOL.com email address that seemed very suspicious who said, hey, I represent toy companies and help them get into stores. Do you want to be part of it? Well, without all of the setup, right, I probably would have dismissed this call. Right. And that would have been a mistake. So what happened before? Well, we had been this very successful company with a website selling our thinking putty directly to customers who were mostly adults. And we also had a promotional products arm and that was probably 80% of our business selling these promotional products, um, putting corporate labels on things for events, activities, um, meetings. And then 2008 happened and it was a major economic recession and um, companies pulled back on those budgets pretty significantly. And mm -hmm. so our revenue went from growing every single year to a very sharp, sudden decline. And it was a decline, you know, you could see it month by month. It just sort of fell off a cliff. Oh. So that got me thinking, well, what do I do next? Right. And it was combined with two other factors. One was, um, that it was the time when the regulatory regime for toys in the United States started. So not only was my business suddenly in a contraction, it also suddenly had a lot more rules mm -hmm. and a lot more checks and balances and a lot more expense involved mm -hmm. um, in producing our products. So that made me very, very shy. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last piece was that within the promotional business, the FDA ruled that pharmaceutical companies could no longer give out swag. Oh, and so, you know, you remember you'd go to a doctor's office and there were sticky notepads and there were pens and there were all kinds of giveaways with all of these drug names on them. And that just one night went poof and it was gone. And that just really shrunk the size, the potential size of that business dramatically. Wow. So um, I was looking for new markets and new opportunities. I mean, yeah. I considered, you know, things outside of putty. I, I was pie in the sky. What can I do? Because the revenues were not there for this business to continue as it had. Mm -hmm. And then I got a phone call from someone who said they represented toy companies uh, with an at AOL.com email and no website and no way to sort of have an internet guy to kind of research them beyond the words that were coming out from the other side of the phone. Yeah, God forbid. Um, but I said to myself, you know, what do you have to lose? Right? Yeah. yeah. And you have a lot to gain yeah. and you're looking for change. And you never know. So um, was that essentially an art agent or an art rep or a distributor? It was, it was a toy rep. Right? Okay. And they said, well, if you can have retail ready product then in two weeks, then you can be at the New York gift show and I have a space for you. And I didn't know what the New York gift show was or what to really expect, but uh -huh. I said, sure. And I stayed up for basically, you know, as 18, 20 hours a day cutting things with exacto blades and throwing art together to kind of create what I think is a very important thing to remember when you're making things, which is minimum viable product. What mm -hmm. is 
the bare minimum you can put out there to get the interest, to get the appeal, so that you will get the money to then create the product of your dreams, to create what you actually really want to put out there. Because if you spend all your time trying to make something perfect, you'll never actually get it done. Yeah, perfect is overrated. Done is better than perfect. Done so is better than perfect. <laughs> so, so you made this um, presentation for the New York gift show on the fly. What was your first, what was it? Well, it was the putty that we had been selling, except yeah. we were selling a web product. So it had no packaging, right? It, oh. I mean, it had no barcode. It had no sort of description of what the product was. It was just a can that had putty in it. And of course, if you ordered it on the web, you knew exactly what was coming in the mail. Right. And then you custom labeled it for companies. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we have a beep in the background. It's real life. It's okay. Um, so you custom labeled it and so you didn't have any labeling or any packaging. Right, I, or... I, I got to deal with this. I, <laughs> okay. One moment. I'll be right back. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. I'm your host, Aaron Sparler, and I just want to let you know real quick that we have a new ebook. I wrote a book summarizing all of the most amazing stories and tips and tricks and quotes from the first two seasons of the podcast. You can download it and get all of the amazing pictures from behind the scenes of me, of examples of things in the studio as well as examples of the artist's work and at work in their studios in the artist appeals ebook so pop on over to theartistappeals.com and get your ebook as well as for a limited time the three free bonuses so all for the price of a regular book you got the ebook of the artist appeals instant download instant gratification as well as three free bonuses of even more content and information so if you want to learn the business of art if you want to learn how to make money as an artist go check out the book and the three free bonuses because it's meant to walk you step by step through this process thanks for listening and i'll see you at the all right so we talked about art we talked about product and we're segmenting segueing very nicely into presentation so how did you come up with this new logo and packaging did you do it yourself um sure did you so do any research no i had i had help i mean so i immediately had an idea that because putty came in plastic eggs that i didn't want to do that and in fact it was so ingrained that that was how putty came that every single knockoff of silly putty had their own sort of cheesy plastic easter egg candy kind of container um and i immediately thought i wanted a metal can um high value high high um uh psychological value of metal containers grandma yeah. never threw away those metal cookie tins she saved them and used them for everything and if you're going to put your branding on something yeah. you want you want it to stay in front of people yeah. um metal doesn't really cost that much more than plastic to be Does honest it? It really, it really doesn't, not in that kind of, not in that kind of container. Um, so it's a psychologically perceived value. 
which yeah. has a high benefit for our did for our brand and, and for others, uh, you know, Altoids and, and other brands that use. Metal. And it's very functional. I mean, I've had a lot of your putty and it's nice because you can put it back in there. You can put it, it back in good. there. And um, being that this was aimed at office workers, I wanted something that could sit on a desktop and not roll away. And an, mm. egg, did not, an egg did not fit that bill. So we, we used the metal container, um, which also allowed us to source it domestically. We were making the putty domestically. Nice. Um, and we had the cans made domestically. And so everything was, was sort of clicking, you know, on, on multiple levels in terms of supply chain. Yeah. And then when it came to uh, a name for the product, well, first there was a logo and the logo was the head. And I did not draw the head. I had a project manager at this um, design firm that I worked at. And he scribbled that on a sticky note one day, unrelated to the putty, just, we were sort of sitting in the same room and I must've been talking to a client and explaining some technical matter. And he sat there with a little sticky notepad and he just, it was definitely a cartoonist trapped in the body of a project manager. And he, <laughs> said, he said, you're crazy, Aaron. And he just slid that across the desk. And I, oh my gosh, this is, this is it. This is my identity. This is the logo. This is exactly what I want. <laughs> I so love I it. took that. I took that to a friend's mother who was also a graphic artist. Um, because keep in mind, I'm in my early 20s here. And um, and I said, hey, I'd love to pay you to sort of help me design formal packaging. Uh -huh. Um, and I'm not exactly sure what the name of the product itself is yet, but you know, when we started working on it and, um, the original designs that you can see, if you look on the web with the, um, very fine lettering, crazy Aaron's thinking putty in an arc, um, uh -huh. with the head at the center, you know, she redrew the, the, the art and, um, mm -hmm. vectorized it so that it would be, uh, you know, an illustrator and, yeah. um, uh, that all came through that process and she sort of chose a color scheme. Um, we decided on yellow as a primary color because it wasn't used a lot. Okay. So it would stand out. In a way it was ugly, yeah. but it was like, you know, I, I learned, uh, I saw a quote many years ago, you know, fashion is a form of dress so ugly it has to be changed every six months. And <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and I really like that. And I said, okay, well, you know, if we do something ugly, like it'll get noticed. Right. Yeah. And so that's where sort of our, our heavy use of bright yellows came from because it's just underused in so much consumer packaging. Oh, I love it. You know, it's a sea of blues and purples and, um, and yeah. white and, and we, we used yellow. So I love that was it. some of the process of how, how it came to be. And then, mm -hmm. um, you know, putting those uh, stickers on the cans and putting the putty in, and now we had a product. And away you go. I love it. Very cool. So art, product, presentation, E for educate, but not really educating yourself. How do you write about and how do you educate people about your product? Essentially marketing, like marketing is education in its finest form. It's like communicating with your perfect target market. So what have you learned and what advice would you give reviewers about um, reaching out and educating your audience and marketing? Like, what have you learned? Well, one of the things I've learned, especially with a product that really has such a wide appeal is that you have to focus. Mm. Um, you, you know, I'm often asked in interviews, you know, who uses your product? And my answer is people with hands, <laughs> very broad, but it is true. But if we tried to market just to 
people with hands, right? Or all people, um, we're not gonna have a lot of success because we don't have a touch point to really make a connection with someone in their life at that moment for them to say, oh, this is something I wanna try. This is something I wanna use. It just seems too vague, too broad. Yeah. So originally we had the focus of, you know, are you a thought worker? Are you someone who sits at a desk all day and has to think, right? You mm -hmm. want thinking putty. And um, then we were dragged, you know, sort of kicking and screaming almost uh, by economic circumstances into selling children's toys. And mm -hmm. so we focused on children, but I've always felt like we've been very lucky. I've been lucky in that this is a unique product that is interesting enough that once someone discovers it, they want to show it to a friend. Mm -hmm. And not every product can be that way, but of course that is the best form of marketing and education, oh, yeah. which is for, rather than hearing it from me, hear it from someone you know and trust. Um, mm -hmm. And we used to be able to see it with our online store sales. We would get an odd order out of the blue to an office in Iowa somewhere, and then you'd get another order from Iowa. And then you get another order and they're all <laughs> being shipped to, this was back in the day when you had to sign for packages. So people would ship personal items to work right? And okay. uh, we could see it sort of explode in different regions. I remember there was a T-Mobile call center in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where it started with one and then two and four. And it was really an exponential growth until we were filling hundreds of orders uh, for putty at this call center <laughs> for people who were on the phone wearing a headset like you are all day <laughs> taking calls and they're playing with it. That's the best kind of marketing because it doesn't, doesn't cost the company anything other than making a good, honest product that does what it says it's supposed to do. Wow. Yeah, totally. That's great. So Amplify, what systems do you use to get bigger? Um, there comes a point where you have to put some systems in place and you want to scale, you want to get bigger, but what do you use? Like what have been some of the best things that you have discovered for uh, your company as you've grown? There's Automation wise. A couple, couple angles there. One is when you are developing product really thinking about what is the total addressable market uh, for the product or the variation that you're creating. So there are all kinds of ideas that I had, which I think are the bee's knees, but I know they are going to appeal to a very narrow segment of our potential customer base. Mm. And what I need to be doing is focusing on producing product that appeals to the widest range of the potential customer base, not to okay. a point of um, sort of watering down the secret sauce, but right. sort of, again, being true to yourself and, mm -hmm. and not kind of going off on a tangent because the tangent is going to consume the same amount of resources as that product, which has a more mass appeal. It takes the same amount of time to make it, to, to think of it and ideate it and create it. So you need a return on investment there. So you want something that has a broad appeal. The other is to think about you as the creator, as your business is growing, what, is the, what are the high value tasks that you do? And what are the low value tasks for you? That is, they're necessary to run the business, but they are not going to be propelling you into the next generation of product ideas or art creation or whatever. And you mm -hmm. need to hire help, right? Are you spending 10 hours a month doing bookkeeping? How could you spend two, right? right. There's, only, there's only so many hours. Are you spending lots and lots of time calling stores um, and saying, hey, did you run out of my towels? Do you need more prints? Do you, what? Um, or should you have a sales rep and you pay them and you do it? Um, and right. then you can focus more on creating your art and finding yourself in those, those RPMs, like I said, where you're, you're sort of either open enough that you're uh, most creative or you're like kind of pushed to the limit with other creative products and 
projects and your, your mind wanders into something new and wonderful. I got to ask you the hard question here. How do you determine that point? Like when, like, how do you determine, okay, now I can hire. I think it's one of those, you know, chicken and the eggs thing, because on one hand, we want to save money as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And we feel like to do that, we have to do it all ourselves. So we're hoping the money is going to come in and eventually give us enough money to hire people. But it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing. To mm -hmm. get bigger, you have to hire. Mm -hmm. So a magic formula. A rule, a rule I used back in the day was, do I have the capital to do this as a six-month experiment? Mm, right. Okay. Do I have enough funds or a high, high sort of likelihood of having the funds that I can hire someone, I can pay them for six months to take this off my plate so that I can free up my time because I kind of feel like I need a, at least that much time to see it start to bear fruit. Okay. And, um, and if I don't, well, then I probably shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I need to work a little harder to get to the point where I have those resources. And if I do, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. That's great advice. Thank you. All right. Licensing and contract terms. This is something that, you know, I put in here because I think licensing and contracts are really intimidating for artists and even budding entrepreneurs. And so I like to talk about what are some of the most important contractual terms or things that you look for in plain English that, you know, you wish you'd known about. Oh, I haven't had too much trouble in this regard. I think reading it and taking it in plain English and using your gut to tell you, is this, is this fishy? Like mm. you're going to feel like someone is taking a piece of you, right? Because part mm. of a contract is an agreement that you're giving something and they're getting something um, and, and vice versa. But you, you shouldn't be signing a contract where you're signing away sort of, you know, there's no way out, right? There's no way to say, hey, this relationship isn't working. I mean, right. I'll tell you, uh, you know, and this relates to sort of maybe working with agents, you know, our sales reps, are, it's, those are handshake deals, okay. right? Um, you know, for us to cover different region, have different regions covered and, and product to be sold by them, because right. if the business is working, we're all making money. And if the business isn't working, they're not making any money if it's not working. So they should go and do something else. And the idea of sort of locking you in to this contract um, doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense. And when you think about it on its face, it doesn't. And that's why we kind of don't do it. Now, that's not to say there aren't larger contracts with more long-term commitments of larger dollars as we've grown as a business where these things do happen. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're smaller, you should also realize that like your power is as a creative person. It's not necessarily the work you've created. It's the work you will create. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's less need to maybe be as protective of things that have already been created, even though they, they exist and you kind of might feel the opposite. Right. Because you're going to learn so much through this process. Like you've got another good idea in you right? You are a creative person. That's what you are. And the reason this person is an agent or a distributor or a licensor is because they are not creative and they need to buy ideas. And that's uh -huh. the synergy of how you guys are working together. 
Yeah. Hey, let's list those. You just listed a couple, but this was something that I have been learning about as I work in the toy field and promote iConnect crafts. I didn't know this as a college professor or as an artist, all these different roles in the toy industry. So you mentioned reps. Mm -hmm. Can we just share that with people? Sure. For like a, a second? In, the toy, in the toy industry, a sales rep, um, and they're different kinds, but that person yeah. is going to represent your line. They do not work for you as an employee. They represent multiple other companies simultaneously, yeah. similar to what you might think of as like a, an agent. Right. And they're going to meet with the buyer. They have a relationship with these buyers. They sell other lines to these buyers. So they're not totally unknown. So there's a value add there. They're knocking yeah. on the door and they're saying, hey, I have something, you know, Aaron, you and I have been friends for a long time. I have something new to show you. That's a different right. conversation than you calling and saying, hi, my name is Aaron Sparler and I have a product and I want to show it you. Can I get a meeting? And they're like, who the hell are you? No. Right. Right. They're almost like traveling salesmen, right? And they have they regions. Absolutely, are. absolutely. Yes. So they just work in the Northeast or in the, you know, a specific or a specific territory. state or absolutely they work in a specific territory there's also different kinds of reps who focus on larger accounts so someone who maybe has worked at target mm -hmm. as an employee for many years and now they go out on their own and they will they really only represent companies looking to sell into target and target is a big enough company that there's enough dollars there that it makes sense that they only call on one customer with a handful of clients and there's a lot of work involved because it's a big customer it's very labor intensive to deal with them and they will help you because they know all the three letter acronyms that they <laughs> learned working at target that you don't because you didn't work at target and so they can facilitate between those worlds all those acronyms. I have learned so many acronyms in, in this world. Like just the other day, I was thrown another one, BOM, Bill of Materials. I was like, That's BOM, right. what, what, bomb? Boom, boom, That's right. bomb. bomb. That's right. <laughs> Bill of Materials. So um, what was, there's distributors then. Who right, they... and distributors would take your product and they would put it in their warehouse and then they would sell it. And one of the advantages for a buyer is that if I am a smaller buyer, I might not be able to meet case pack minimums. So I might need to buy 54 of something to buy it directly from you because that's the big box, but I might only want to buy 12. A distributor will take multiple products and mm -hmm. they will put them in their warehouse. They'll break those cases and they'll offer more flexibility to that customer. But in exchange, you're going to be selling it to them at you know less than wholesale because that's where they make their money. Right. They're almost like a third party because they buy it up front, right? That's right. That's right. Very cool. And then um, there was a third one. So we've got um, sales reps, distributors, and agents, right? Well, an agent would be more um, for a licensing. Right. So if you were more creating um, content, um, you know, uh, for example, if you were an artist who did illustration, and mm -hmm. you wanted to have your illustrations be put on puzzles and book covers and sort of used as part of the commercialization of other products, you know, an agent can be very helpful. And again, getting past the, the barriers, um, yeah. you know, these companies might have artists submit here, here's an email address, send in your submission. But if you don't know anybody, yeah. right, and you can't talk about the breadth of your work beyond, uh, you know, have a conversation about your portfolio, that's where connections come into play. Um, right. And they also come into play because they might love your work, but are you easy to work with, mm. right? Do you take 
um, feedback well? Uh, do you deliver on time? Are you committed to this? And like, if I go down the path of sort of choosing your visual style, can I count on you for the next three to four years to deliver on time? Those are big questions and those are barriers to entry. Um, and you know, that's part of developing yourself in a career is learning those relationships and those people so that they will recommend you and yeah. an agent can help you with that. Yeah, I'm getting into that art agent world. And that's what the book is kind of about is about the that angle of artists licensing their work, and art agents help them approach the manufacturers. But when I was at Astra the other month, when I met you, I mm -hmm. thought it was really interesting. I saw a flip side of that almost a reversal, where there was a company or multiple companies that were actually licensing the artwork from much larger IPs or intellectual property companies. So there was a, for example, a puzzle company that had licensed um, Star Wars and, and stuff to put on lenticular puzzles. And there was another company that was um, tiles, magnetic tiles, and they had licensed um, an intellectual property from a much bigger brand. Do you ever do that? Have you ever um, gone that direction where you're a smaller business? I didn't know that a smaller mm -hmm. business could approach a larger business and say, hey, uh, you don't make your stuff currently on my putty. Mm -hmm. Would you like to, you know, make Mickey Mouse putty or something? <laughs> Not that that yeah. would work, but. So um, we, we've, we've really participated in a very limited way there. I think we have a strong brand on our own and, you know, oh, yeah. we, have we have promoted it. Um, we have licensed our brand out to other toy companies. So oh, yeah? there was a product called Thinking Putty Puzzle. Um, where it was, it used what? putty as part of the puzzle solving, and it was made by uh, Ravensburger, which is a very large um, puzzle oh, game yeah. manufacturer. Um, and we've done other uh, licensing, for example, the world's smallest thinking putty, which is a little tiny, tiny little tin, and it's part of a whole line of toys called world's smallest. So world's smallest slinky, world's smallest, um, you know, hot wheel, whatever. Uh, and we got world's smallest putty that we didn't, we made the putty, but uh -huh. the actual sort of manufacturing and tinning and labeling and packaging and sale of that product is done by somebody else under license. Oh, that's um, cool. So there are opportunities in both directions. In terms of going up, we did a product um, where it was a sort of a comic book with Marvel characters. Yeah. And you could use the putty to peel off the shapes and stretch and distort them as the way you used to do with silly putty and comics. Yeah. And, um, and that was uh, where we went and, you know, obtained a license, a very narrow license, right? You know, if right. you say, hey, I want, I want the rights to use Marvel characters in whatever I want, you're going to pay a lot, a lot of money. Right. But if you, you know, as a licensor, their, their job is to have a business where they create these properties and then they license them so that they can get the money, right? They get the money from the movie or the TV show, and then everything else is sort of residual. And, um, so we were able to get, uh, working with our, our partners, um, a license to be able to do that be, so that you would have a comic book that had Marvel characters in it and not just a comic book that had random, you know, unbranded illustrations. Right, right. I had no idea that it could go that way too. So that's really cool. Thank you for the examples. That's really fascinating. Yeah. Did you meet those um, opportunities at any particular conferences? I do like to touch on conferences. Well, yeah, and there's the license, the licensing show in Las in Las Vegas. The licensing mm -hmm. show is where it's at. Yeah, that's a biggie, huh? It's um, it's not as big as you might think. Um, oh, really? But it, it but it is a lot of sort of private meetings, and it's a great opportunity to meet people 
one-on-one -on -one. Um, or as a small brand to, you know, if you, if you have a lifetime of work, mm -hmm. right. And, and some level of recognition um, you get a booth and you, you know, you put out your fishing line and you see what you might catch. You know, it's I a very low risk way of getting in front of a lot, a lot of people in, you know, a three day time frame. Yeah. Are there any other conferences on your uh, calendar? Like what are the ones that you do regularly? What are your top three conferences? Sure. I mean, we, we do toy fair, um, which is, you know, has been pandemically challenged. We do Nuremberg, uh, which is the, uh, the largest toy show in the world. Um, which is in Germany and is also oh, wow. pandemically challenged. Um, we I want to go to that one. It's a good one. Yeah, we do a lot of gift shows around mm -hmm. the United States. Um, and, um, and then we go to all kinds of sort of shows on the, on the back end, right? Mm -hmm. Where we were meeting suppliers and people who create different materials and, and artists who might be interested in pitching to us, all kinds of things. That's, that's sort of separate. But the shows where we're going and selling are toy and gift shows primarily. That's interesting. So you go to another host of shows to get ideas. Of like, to, oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Very cool. All right. And finally, S for success. So we did art, A for art, P for product, P for presentation, E for educate, A for amplify, L for licensing and contract terms. And last but not least, S for success. How do you measure success? We touched on this a little bit earlier about how like the internet thinks that success is having a Lamborghini and having a million followers. <laughs> <laughs> but how do you measure the success for yourself or mm -hmm. a product? You know, what are I mean, your KPIs? I, another acronym out there. Are you, are you paying the bills, mm -hmm. right? Are your children fed mm -hmm. and clothed and housed? Um, are you happy? Do you mm -hmm. like what you're doing? Are you right. enjoying this? Is this what you want to do when you get up in the morning? If you don't, you should, you should do something else. You know, we, we all need money and we work for money, change jobs for money, but it's not why we work. We work for purpose. We work for trying to find meaning in this sort of meaningless world. Right. Yeah. And, and um, you know, some of us are more uh, you know, motivated to help others, other, you know, some people are, are looking for more internal rewards, but whatever it is, are you kind of making what you need to make? And, um, and are you happy? I think that's success ultimately, yeah. um, as successful as any of us might be. I mean, you can choose the biggest movie star, right? Mm -hmm. We yeah. all live, we all die and it all turns to dust and you can imagine it's important, but you know, in a thousand years, is it, you know, a thousand years is coming. Yeah, it's coming very slowly. So, <laughs> so KPI stands for key uh, point indicator, right? Key, key performance indicator. Performance. Thank you. Key performance indicator, and it's one of these um, acronyms that everybody uses. How do you determine the success of a product? How do you know when to keep a product and when to um, retire a product? Do you sure. have any advice well, we, there too? We took kind of a Jack Welch uh, sort of model. Uh, which is, you know, the bottom uh, 10 to 15% has always got to go. Like okay. no matter what, they've always, you have to make room for new. Yeah. And so your low performers are the ones that have to get cut to be replaced, even if they are beloved, even if they're performing, you know, even if you have such a great portfolio that everything is sort of performing, yeah. the bottom one's got to go because otherwise you have no room for innovation and newness and you will get stale. And before you know it, your whole portfolio will be stale. And that is a much bigger problem. 
Right. Do you do that annually? We do that. Uh, yes, we do that annually. Very good. Very good. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Where can we get Aaron's crazy, crazy Aaron's thinking putty? Well, I'm pleased to say we're available in so many retail locations, <laughs> whether it's Walmart Everywhere. or Target or Barnes and Noble <laughs> or your local specialty store, uh, you know, little, or my rug, little gift shop down the sh little gift shop down the street, you know, all those places. And I am also pleased that all of those retailers sort of have a different version of Crazy yeah. Aaron. So wherever yeah. you wander, you'll have an interesting experience. Hey, Aaron, you should give them the tip that you gave me at Astra because I was telling you how my kids have gotten it stuck in the carpet. And I was like, how do I get this out? It's kind of how we started talking. That's right. Uh, how do you get uh, your thinking putty out of the carpet? <laughs> rubbing alcohol, 99% rubbing alcohol dissolves the polymer. You can remove it and then standard cleaning products will work for you. Fantastic. because. <laughs> kids they get it everywhere and they they, do. they want it you can't say no to it you know they, it's like so beautiful and gorgeous and fun and they need tactile. to learn that it, it lives in its tin and that's where it needs to go when they're done <laughs> well thank you so much do you want to um throw a discount code out there for anybody if they have watched this um sure i i i would be happy to um i would use the code appeals a-P-P-E-A-L-S. Well, thank and you. And you can get 10% off your order at our online store. Check it out. Oh, yeah. You hear that, guys? Go to, what's the website? Crazyarons.com. And get 10% off if you use appeals. Fantastic. Okay. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for being on. This has been fantastic. So many tips and tricks for um, creatives that want to be inventors and entrepreneurs and you know that's the route i think you got to go as a creative is is you got to really expand mm -hmm. and make something bigger you got to think what can i make with my creativity mm -hmm. that, that seems to me to be one of the tickets to success i think that um if you have the intrinsic motivation we are living in no better time for you to be you know, pushing your own brand and getting in touch with, the with those people who connect with it emotionally, intellectually, and, um, and build yourself a following and, and find success. Very cool. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Stay on the line for just a second. All right. Thanks. Aaron, fantastic. I love collecting these interviews. It's just been so cool talking to everybody. And so I want to say thank you for being on because- sure, My pleasure. This is going to be fun. Um, you know, I haven't done a lot of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs that have big companies. I've been doing a lot of big names in the art field. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Larry Elmore and Christopher Burdett and Ashley Longshore. Mm -hmm. But I think this is an interesting angle for creatives. Um, I, hopefully, you know, sometimes when you when you see the problem framed a little bit differently, it can give you some other insights. So, I, I, you know, hopefully uh, someone will take something away from this and it'll be worth our time. Oh, I took a lot away from it. So it's oh, worth good. it to me. There you hey, go. well, thank All you right. so much. All right, All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Bye, right, Aaron. Bye, bye. bye. Hey, I want to thank you for listening. And while you have a chance, 
pop on over to theartistappeals.com and pick up my new book. I've got a special offer of The Artist Appeals book, which summarizes all the best stories from the guests of the first two seasons. I've pulled out all the best quotes, all the best tips and tricks, and summarized what we learned from the first two seasons of the podcast research in this new book. You can get it instantly as a downloadable PDF. And as a bonus, you get three free bonuses, all for the price of a printed book. So now you get the book, the ebook, you get a whole workbook full of checklists and worksheets. You get the one page planner, as well as an entire online course with even more information, all for the price of a printed book. So check it out. Go to theartistappeals.com. It's right on the home page. Click the read now button, get the artist appeals ebook, and you'll see the special offer and you can get it instantly. So go download your version of the artist appeals. Oh, and as a bonus, all the pictures in it are so good. They're pictures of behind the scenes of me and my studio, of all the artists in their studio, their work. Um, oh, there's some really cool pictures. So if you're a visual person, and I presume you are, check out the Artist Appeals ebook because we've got lots of visual examples plus three free bonuses. So go visit theartistappeals.com and get your book today.